0: The big news in Capitol Hill these days is the push for a tax bill. But what we're not hearing about is the impact this may have on religious institutions and how it may harm charitable giving and various other interests of relevance to those of us here at Freedom's Ring and our listeners who care about religious freedom. I've invited my friend and colleague, Dwayne Leslie, Director of Legislative Affairs for the Seventh-day Adventist Church, to brief us on the tax bill. And Dwayne, welcome back to Freedom's Ring.
1: Thanks, Alan. It's always a pleasure to be on the show.
0: And I know for broadcast purposes, this is not going to be timely because, of course, it's a moving target and things change. But we are going to post this immediately on social media so people can get the information. If you're listening on the air, do take a look because some of these provisions we're talking about may or may not still be alive at the time you're listening to this. That's right. Well, what are some of the concerns that uh, you're monitoring in this tax bill?
1: Sure. Well, first, Alan, the the thing to note is that um, the political process, as I'm sure many of your listeners are aware, is very fluid. And so uh, in order for a bill to become law, the House passes a version, the Senate passes a version, and the president has to sign it. And if there's a difference between the House version and the Senate version, then they have to put together a conference committee to work out the details, then get a, a version that's approved before it goes to the president for signature. So, as you might imagine, there are many different pathways for different folks to raise concerns, and the process is fluid all the way up until you get to a a conference consensus report. So, what I'm going to talk about briefly are just some concerns that were raised in the House version, which was introduced prior to the Senate version. And then the Senate version actually addressed some of the concerns that we had in the House bill, but again, because ultimately... They will have to reconcile any two versions. Sure. Um, we still want to remain vigilant on some of these concerns. And so uh, one issue that came up, uh, which many of your listeners may be familiar with, is the Johnson Amendment, which we've probably talked about in the past. Yes. But the Johnson Amendment, basically, in the House bill, it, in essence, would repeal it and, or allow uh, churches to make political statements, including candidate endorsements or opposition while maintaining tax-exempt status. Now, again, the Johnson Amendment does have some flaws in it with respect to should the government be regulating speech in churches. But I think the um, countervailing balance is not wanting to turn houses of worship into uh, basically a political forum and having pastors potentially split the church by endorsing or opposing uh, political candidates.
0: And I would remind our listeners, there is not a single denomination in the nation that wants to have churches being part of political campaigns for candidates. Not a single denomination supports repeal of the Johnson Amendment. So that means your church or my church, both.
1: And I think that that's right, Alan. And so its um, I think some of the people who are in favor of it might be some of the independent megachurches, which, as you might imagine, if you have ten or 15,000 members in your church, um, you too could now become sort of a political power center where money could flow in and then allow that local church to wield a disproportionate amount of influence in the uh, political process.
0: Exactly. And do politics with tax-deductible dollars.
1: Exactly. And also those the donations to the House of Worship, you wouldn't have to disclose that, the identities of the donors.
0: Ah, so more secrecy as well. This is, uh, yeah, bad news for our political process. So that's one issue, and the Senate version does not have the repeal. That's correct. Okay, next issue.
1: So the next issue is maybe something which doesn't affect as many of our viewers per se, but potentially has a significant impact on employees or faculty members at educational institutions. So there's a provision which many people are not that aware of. It's Section 117D in the Internal Revenue Code. Currently, it permits these educational institutions to provide their employees, spouses, or dependents with tuition reductions that are excluded from taxable income, which then help them afford college education and provide an important benefit to many middle and lower income employees. So what this means is, if you're a faculty member at a college, one of the benefits that you often get is your dependent is able to go to college and get a discount. Uh, in the Seventh Avenue Church, that is something which is a big recruiting tool because in many Christian colleges, they they pay um, maybe less than the market rate that you would get at a large a larger public institution. And so now, if that educational benefit suddenly becomes taxable income. The net effect of that is a pay cut to each one of these faculty. For some schools, that educational benefit extends down to some of the lower paid employees. So you can imagine the educational benefit may be close to the value of their salary. So now, if you're, in essence, adding another $30,000 of income, phantom income that you're now paying tax on, that could be a real disadvantage for those employees. Sure.
0: For an administration that's supposed to be religion-friendly and religious freedom-friendly, adding taxes to those who, you know, if you're teaching at a Christian college or university, that's a ministry. And you're not paid as well as you would be if you're teaching in the private sector. And these tuition benefits are, are a very important part of that because you want your kids to be able to get a Christian education as well. Absolutely. It's how the whole system is structured. Um so it's really the unraveling of Christian education. It's a real it's a real harm to Christian education.
1: Absolutely. And that's something we would be very concerned about. And so um I've been in touch with uh, other religious denominations that operate educational institutions. And across the board, uh, we're all uniform in opposition to this. So when this was included in the House bill, but thankfully, it was not addressed in the Senate version. And so, because there was pretty immediate pushback. And one of the other related provisions in that same Section 117D was allowing graduate assistants, many of whom are PhD students who routinely get tuition waivers, for reasons that are unknown to me, the tax bill wanted to tax your tuition waiver when you're a grad student. So you might get a $40,000 tuition waiver plus a modest stipend of maybe 20 or 30000 And now you can imagine having to pay tax on $40,000 when you're making only a modest stipend. And so when people realized that, hey, this would potentially be catastrophic. So thankfully, that was not included in the Senate bill.
0: Well, I don't know if this one is on your list, because I don't know that it, it really pertains to religious institutions directly. But I was really upset to see that the limited deductibility of student loan interest payments was being reduced. And to me, the student loan debt crisis is, is one of the huge issues that Congress really needs to do something about. But this is going in the wrong direction. This is adding to the burden of student debt, not doing anything to alleviate it. And here you're saying that we want to encourage kids to get higher education. So if they're in grad school and they're eligible for some kind of tuition discount or waiver of tuition because they're high-performing, bright, capable students and the university wants them, then you're going to tax them on it. They don't have any income to pay the tax on it. Exactly. It's just, it's craziness.
1: No, and you're right. And when you realize that in order for us to maintain the technological developments that we have in in this country, we need to do more to encourage higher education and to make it easier, not harder. I mean, education debt has become a really significant problem for uh, many of today's students and we've got to find a way to address that
0: especially if we don't simply want to satisfy the needs of business for highly trained people with highly trained immigrants but that's a <laughs> another whole topic so uh, let's go back to taxes what else are you looking at in the house bill
1: sure and and one one last thing that we that we're uh, concerned about although there'll be probably a little bit less of an opportunity to change is the doubling of the standard deduction for individuals and couples. And so, you might think that's a great thing. That increases the amount of deductions. But particularly for educational institutions and religious denominations and nonprofits, by increasing the standard deduction, the concern is that that will reduce the number of taxpayers who itemize and then reducing the value of charitable deductions. And so, our concern is that charitable giving, not only to religious organizations, but to educational institutions and other nonprofits will have a net decline. And again, given that some of the work that's being done by all of those groups, we'd rather see more money as opposed to less money going into that.
0: Now, if I remember correctly, some organization calculated that the nonprofit sector in America, if it was a standalone, would be the 11th largest economy in the world. We have no concept of just how significant the nonprofit sector really is. And that includes the religious sector. Absolutely. But also many other parts of our society and our economic life. And so if you're going to put a disincentive on supporting charities into a tax bill, the potential to affect a really huge sector of the economy and of the good that's done in so many parts is really its like, I don't know, I mean, I, I get that there is a legitimate interest in reforming how taxes deal with corporations and, and various other issues. But this seems like uh, a rush here. I, I'm just very concerned about how this is being put together.
1: And I think, Alan, I think you, you identified it. There, there are some valid reasons to to look at ways that we can simplify the process. And I think that that was the, the motivation behind increasing the standard deduction, because If we have fewer people itemizing, then it actually makes it easier for that individual to prepare their taxes. Um, but again, I think we have to look at what will the net effect be on charitable institutions? Um, whether people will say, well, I'm going to just take this deduction. And for many people who may be on the fence in terms of giving, you know, what is, how much will that impact? they're giving decisions and going forward. And that's potentially a concern.
0: I got to say, Dwayne, I've been doing my own taxes forever. And keeping track of my itemized deductions really is not a big deal. That's the least of my concerns, you know, trying to put my taxes together. There's, you know, it just, there's just not that many categories that you're dealing with when you're itemizing deductions. You know, you've got, Your property taxes, for example, or state income taxes, which uh, these are also being uh, impacted, all of these kinds of deductions, you know, your charitable giving.
1: Right, this new version, if they eliminate state and local taxes and property taxes, for many people, that's a significant line item. If you live in in a a high-tax state, uh, California, Maryland, New York, New Jersey, um, that's a significant impact. It sure
0: is. So now you said the Senate version does not have all of these. Um,
1: well, the Senate version does have it. it did include the, uh, the, the doubling of the standard deduction, um, but did not address the Johnson Amendment that I mentioned first. And that it also um, left alone the, uh, the taxation issue on the educational subsidy. So that's where we're encouraged about that.
0: Well, where can people keep in touch with you as far as... Uh, Current updates on the tax bill
1: well we're, we'll be posting those on uh, venusliberty.org which is our website and uh, also probably on our social media page on facebook uh, which is the public affairs religious liberty page of the general conference of seventh day
0: and also on our church state council website and freedom's ring is available on soundcloud and on itunes don't forget friends freedom is not free be informed Get involved. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinock. Until next week, let freedom ring.